everybody, and welcome to Game Changers with my guest today, Maggie Bear. Maggie, thank you so much for doing this. I know that you're crazier busier now than you've ever been. Yes? Yeah, I am. Yeah, and this is very weird because there's a bit of a delay now that we're on, we're live. So I, I'm hearing you speak at a different time than I'm seeing you, but that'll be fun. That'll be a challenge. Oh, great. That's be happening. I don't know why that's happening. I'm going to pull the, the broadcast up on Facebook so I can see what people are saying to us. But um, I'm sorry that it's an unnerving change. It shouldn't be. And we're also about a mile away from each other. Right? True. That's true. Up to okay. two. Um, yeah. So so let's talk about that first, because I've got the COVID crazies who tune in every day and find out everybody's COVID story. So how has this, I, I mean, I know that, that Billy was in the middle of a tour or had you had to stop a tour, right? Yeah, we had to stop a tour. We were... Well, it's all of our family, you know, because Billy and Phineas, of course, are both working together. And then Patrick is on the crew and I'm helping Billy. And so we were in the Miami and then Orlando and the whole thing was getting very scary and weird. And then we went to North Carolina and then we pulled the plug and, and came home. We took our tour bus home, actually, which was kind of an adventure. Uh, we, we just we had a we loaded up the tour bus with food and we drove home, which was kind of a little road trip unto itself. It was fun. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we got home on March, March 12th. And, and you had had a lot of contact with a lot of people prior to that. But no, you guys averted the COVID. Well, there is a delay. Well, That's we were in states that, yeah, it's a pretty weird delay. I don't know how to make it better. If you have a way, let me know. But um, you know what was weird? I actually got very angry about that this week because when we were there, we were begging for information. You know, we were really trying to find out what was the right thing to do. Should we stop? Should we go home? And I was really angry that when I heard that Trump knew as early as he knew everything he knew because we were having a large gathering in Florida. Right. And right. we were being told there was no, you know, nothing there. You know, we were at the time, everyone was being told it wasn't airborne, et cetera. So um, yeah, it makes me really mad to think that even maybe we shouldn't have even had those three shows. I mean, who knows? Um, but the minute we had information, we, we stopped and um, came home. So we no no one was sick. Actually, interestingly, we were sick on the road home, but that was just a normal tour sick. You know, you always get sick on tour because your Billy is rehearsing really hard for days and not sleeping, and then you do the show, and of course you get you get sick. But it wasn't it wasn't COVID. I remember when when you first got back, we had been in touch because we were talking about like maybe playing Scrabble or something on on that was in the days before you got really we all got really busy again right and so let's play some games on on the computer we never did it but we talked about it but i remember you weren't feeling well and i remember thinking oh my god i hope not but it wasn't it, it, goodness it wasn't um so has so so i know covid impacted you initially that it gave you a lot of time how has it now empowered you because i know it has had the time 
Well, you know, I think in the, really one week into COVID, you know, we came home and we're like everybody, we, you know, started watching movies and, you know, it was a, just kind of controlling your anxiety. I think, you know, not knowing what was happening. It was winter. It was, it felt fine to be home. And, um, but you know, about less than a week in, I think I, I got this idea, um, I was talking to Billy and, and I said, you know, it's so sad that so many people need food and all these restaurants are going to go out of business because remembering that in the beginning of COVID, no one even wanted to take out food, right? No one even wanted to order out. And so the restaurants were just, you know, in such bad shape. And so because we're vegan and uh, we really care about our small local plant-based restaurants, I was like, well, why don't we set up a platform? Well, what I did first was I ordered some food from, uh, Sage, which is one of our favorite restaurants, and I had it delivered to the Midnight Mission. And as I did that, I was like, "Wow, this is this is this is a good idea, but it's much more complicated than I thought." And so, I called a few friends the very next day, and I said, "I have this idea if we could make this a more formal thing." And I just a bunch of amazing people who are all kind of out of work with time on their hands were like, "I'll right. help you," you know. So my friend, event planner, and a person who specializes in marketing for vegan restaurants and and a, and a record label person who helped us with their staff. I mean, we just had so many people helping us. So we pivoted to like a full on charity and um, that was called Support and Feed. And, and, uh, and Maggie, tell us how Support and Feed works, would you please? Yeah. So Support and Feed works by um, what we do is we take donations and then we use those donations to get food from plant-based restaurants and then we deliver those that food to organizations charitable organizations where people are in need people who have food insecurity especially in communities that are suffering from food apartheid food nutrition deserts lack of healthy food so we are doing several things at the same time we are supporting small businesses in our community which are plant-based restaurants. Therefore, we're trying to help with the climate crisis because we know that a plant-based diet is one of the most important things you can do to help with climate crisis. And then we're taking that food to people in need who need nutritious, healthy food. So it's a really intersectional charity. And uh, we're partnering with amazing organizations like the Sisters of Watts or Supermarket or or um, the Boys and Girls Club. And we're in New York and we're in Philly. We have Voces Latinas in New York and um, Sylvia. Tell Rafael. us some of your favorite restaurants in each of those cities. Oh, wow. Well, I, I, I hate to say my favorite restaurants because I have so many, but we yeah. have in our group, we have Sage, which is an amazing restaurant with an amazing mission. You know, Molly, the chef, helps so many people in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Crossroads, Pura Vida, we have Hinterhof in Highland Park. We have um, Epic Vegan, which is pies. She makes amazing vegan pies, uh, native foods, veggie grill, um, Beyond Sushi in New York, Marty's V Burger, by Chloe. Um, oh gosh, I don't want to forget anybody. In Philly, we have Hip City Veg and Bar Bon Bon, amazing places all over. So. And so how can people who are watching help this cause? Um, how can they get involved? So you just go to our website, supportandfeed.com, and you can make a donation to our general fund, which means we'll get the food where it needs to go. We'll use the restaurants that are available to get it there. Or if you have a favorite restaurant that's on our site, you can make a direct donation right to one of those restaurants. Um, depending on if you need a tax deductible one, you go to the general fund. But um, yeah, that way, if you have a favorite restaurant you love and you want to make sure your food gets delivered through that 
um, organization or that restaurant will do that. But you know, we've we have we have fed so many meals this summer. We fed the Boys and Girls Club five days a week for five weeks, four different club, five different clubs, and four of wow. them. That was in addition to all our other centers. So people have been so generous. We have all volunteers, Vicky, all volunteers. So I was going to ask you, can they give of their time as well as their money to help? Yeah, we have volunteer drivers in LA. We have volunteers helping us make connections. So. Yeah, of course, any connections to knowing about grants or funding, that's always super helpful, too. You know, that's something you don't think about, but it's really, really important, like connecting the dots. You know, what I've learned about 501c3s is it's very, uh, you know, we get a donation from an organization like Broadway Cares, and they donate to us, and then we take the food and we take it to the Sylvia Rivera Food Pantry. You know, so you're helping so many different charities along the way you know if you don't need to ask your food could end up at the boys and girls club or the midnight mission or the union rescue mission so and we yeah, have that, my next question who have you targeted the the meals for so uh, people people experiencing food insecurity um women's shelters lgbtq centers especially children's places with children and families because mm -hmm. we have an educational mission too we, we're trying to help educate people about the importance of healthy eating for themselves and the planet. So we are, you know, we are trying particularly to feed children and families because that's where you can make lasting impact. And, you know, you help you feed a child, then you're helping them learn that day. You're helping them feel better, happier and healthier that day. So that's a, a large part of where we're focused. But we, we have, we sprinkle our food into a lot of different places. And um, a lot of organizations that already exist are doing amazing work in this space. And we're trying to uplift them as well. Um, supermarket is an organization, Lamert Park, that feeds people every week vegan meals. So we help with that as well. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a lot of people involved. There's a lot of good people out there in the world doing amazing things. And it's nice just to be able to be a little tiny part of it, you know. That's so much of who you are, Mac, my experience with you. I've known you, I don't know, for about 10 years. And um I have found this was an idea. Okay, we're going to order takeout. How can this be? And then you just ran with it. And I've seen you do that with other things, like with your, your own film. Uh, you had an idea. You started writing it. T tell us about that and how that happened. Okay. So, you know, I think a lot of people who are actors or uh, creative people can probably identify with this. Mm -hmm. You know, you go through your life as an actor especially you know you're so subject to other people like other people hiring you and other people letting you audition and you know and i think a lot of people say like sooner or later i'm just going to write my own material right and listen right now that's a lot more common people do it all the time now but it didn't, it didn't used to be so common um and so in that case i was inspired i got an idea for a film i always loved independent film um my favorite kind of film. I like small movies. I like personal stories. I like um, I like mumblecore films. Even I really like those kind of small slice of life movies. Wait, what's a mumblecore film? <laughs> a mumblecore film is like a super super low budget. Like um, it's like look now people shoot their movies on their phones, but it used to be like a super low budget self made movie, very little budget and and you know, few locations, you know, the Duplass brothers, 
started with Mumblecore Films and um, various other amazing directors. Lynn Shelton, who sadly died recently, she started in that world. Mm -hmm. uh, so I love those kind of movies and I was inspired by those filmmakers. In fact- Would Tangerine be an example of that? Because they shot that completely on iPhones and stuff. Yeah, they did. I don't, I don't know if that's called Mumblecore, but yeah, definitely. That was an inspiring film. That's an. I watched that on Christmas Day one time while I prepared Christmas dinner in the kitchen. <laughs> it's kind of a Christmas movie if you ever watch it. It's, it's weird. Um, I've watched it many times. I had, I had him as a guest, Chris on his guest, yeah. Oh, so great. I love it. I love it. Uh, it's a Christmas classic. Um, a Christmas classic. I would love to sit my mother down to watch that Christmas classic. <laughs> I have friends who watch Die Hard every Christmas. They consider that a Christmas classic. I think if it takes place on Christmas, certain people, you know, becomes their their movie. But anyway, I was inspired by that world of filmmaking, and and in fact, I used to watch always like the special features on filmmaking and. And so when I got this idea for this film, which was inspired loosely, very loosely from my own life, which was that I used to go out to open mic nights with mic nights. And um, anyway, I was a sort of amateur hobbyist songwriter. And then my son Phineas displayed this crazy freakish talent for it. And this, and this was Billy was still pretty little at the time. Um, so this inspired an idea for a movie and so I, I, I basically, everyone I talked to about the movie, I never ever said like, hey, I'm writing a movie. I always said, I'm making a movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, from the very beginning, I was like, I'm making a movie. And I found that when you say, I'm making a movie, well, everybody wants to be involved with a movie that's gonna get made, right? So uh, people would jump on board, you know, like I'm making a movie and okay, like, would you like to be the, you know, the editor? Would you like to co-write it with me? Would you like to, you know, whatever. So people, amazing people came on board and, and then you're committed. You're like, I guess I'm making a movie. <laughs> um, and then we, we did a Kickstarter for the movie and got funds with that. And we used- I, I want to stop there for a second, Maggie, because you did a Kickstarter. I know a lot of people, Kickstarter was a really big thing then. How, how many years ago was this? It was 2012. Okay, so a lot of people were doing Kickstarters back then. And yeah. Some people were making their goals, some people weren't, but you kind of really wrote the book because you made a science out of it. I remember you offered to, to, to school me um, on how to do it because you were, you were incredibly successful. But I also remember you were putting in unbelievable amount of time to make that work, but you did. You, you figured it out. So, I think it's the same thing that you've done with support and feed. It's when you set your mind to something, you figure it out and you make it work. Um, it's very inspiring. So, okay. So how, so you raised enough on Kickstarter to make your film. Yeah. But let me just say to that point, because I think you're right about support and feed and the movie, but they also have something else in common, which mm -hmm. is that I got a lot of help from a lot of people. Right. I, I, Somebody recently said to me that I'm not a control freak. They said it as a compliment, and I heard it as a compliment. I, I don't think I am a control freak. I really like to involve a lot of people. And so I think um, with the movie, it was similar to Support and Feed. I had an amazing team of people, you know, working with me. I was I didn't need to have extra credit. I didn't, you know what I mean? Like bring on people to help you, teamwork, cooperative work. It's very, 
I think it's crucial to me. I work better with, you know, I could have a full idea and everything, but I want to have somebody to run it by and somebody to do it with. Life is more fun that way, you know? Um, so we did the Kickstarter and we did make a science of it. We worked really hard, me and Jill, who was our director and Tessa, our producer, and Lori, who's my co-writer. We worked really hard to learn like what made a Kickstarter work. And we created a, we tried to create a really good campaign, partly because we were using that campaign to attract some investors, right? Mm -hmm. we, some people liked the script, but they don't know if we can make a movie, right? Like, right. <laughs> and so um, the fact that we were able to pull off a Kickstarter was like proof to them that we could actually make a movie, right? right. So right. it wasn't just making a Kickstarter. It was like a test run for the actual movie. And we probably worked as hard on that Kickstarter as, you know, anything. Um, I remember when you were doing, you were, you were working so hard at that, but you had like spreadsheets and, and I mean, you had it all worked out. Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. It's a lot. You cannot take on a Kickstarter lightly. You know, I mean, if you happen to be of the moment in the perfect time, you might sail through. Otherwise, you've got to be working super, super, super hard. It's not an easy thing to do. I think another thing we, we were talking a little bit before we came on the air and, and you also mentioned that you think part of the reason why people have rallied to help you with things is because you've spent years showing up for other people. And I know for, for myself, you always showed up for me. You oh. always, you, whenever you could, you came to my living room, you supported women who write, you offered to help me personally because I couldn't monetize my from the, my, the life of me and you were willing to share what you had and so because we were talking about being of service is of service to ourselves in so many ways. So if you'd speak on that a little bit, because it's it's very inspiring. Well, I think that, you know, I, I mean, I'm not making this up. I think everybody pretty much knows that when you give, you, you know, you give unto yourself as well, that the gift of giving is a gift to yourself. You know, it's what makes life worth living really i mean i don't I, I don't really see much joy in life for me if you're not you know involved in you know, there's a lot of bad stuff in the world and it's hard to cope with it i think and any action you're doing to help anyone make you feel better so yeah somebody said how did you get so many people to contribute to your kickstarter and i said like i think it's because i've given you know so many kids rides you know over the lifetime you know picked up so many people's kids or whatever like you know after a while people are like okay i'll kick in 50 bucks you know um which of course i didn't do for that reason it's just right. i you know i love i love I love my life. I, I love being a mom and I loved everything involved with it. But I think right now with support and feed, all of us involved feel very fortunate. You know, we are some, it's kind of keeping us going to be honest. You know, I don't know how everybody else is doing out there, but I, it's a hard time. I know everyone's suffering and, and we're suffering too. It's a scary time. Climate change is, you know, I can, I can barely sleep at night thinking about it. And, um, how many people are hungry and it's going to, you know, let's be honest, it's, it's getting, it's getting worse. So I think having something like support and feed, and I know many people have things like support and feed or, or just anything, all the people making masks. I think that's how we survive, you know, Maggie, explain to us how a plant-based diet can help the planet, please. 
Great question. It's pretty straightforward when you think about it. All right. Um, there's a lot of facts and figures and numbers, but I'm going to give you the really obvious answer, right? Okay. You've got so much land on earth. You've got only so much water, right? So are you going to use that land and water to grow food for people? Or are you going to use it to grow food that you grow things that you then feed to animals to then get food from the animal? Complete overuse of the land and the water, right? You can feed so many more people with the crop that's going in to the cow, etc. using that land better, right? Not only that, but cows are a major source of methane gas from burping and farting. This is a major problem in the world. <laughs> it's a huge problem. It is a huge problem. And not only that, you know, the Amazon, everyone was so obsessed, you know, rightly mm -hmm. so with the Amazon burning. Well, we've destroyed the Amazon rainforest for 35 years mm -hmm. to do what? To raise beef cattle. So, you know, we, we've, I, I was wearing a t-shirt 35 years ago that said, you know, save the Amazon rainforest, stop eating meat. You know, we've known this for a long time. We, you know, Sting did his concert for the Amazon rainforest 30 years ago, you know? So this is the environmental impact of eating animals. And that also includes the dairy and egg industry, terrible use of resources. So you're not only, it's not only a way to help with the climate crisis, the way to help feed more people. So to me, the simplest thing you can do, whatever you do as far as, there's so many reasons to be on a plant-based diet. There's your health. There are is the animal cruelty factor. If for some reason none of that speaks to you, mm -hmm. the planet, <laughs> it is literally something you can do every single day it is within your control to do something to help the planet every day. Okay, so Maggie, let's speak to something practical. Sorry to interrupt you, but no and I really like the way you answered that question because it's the first time it made very simple sense to me. Um, I am I am gluten free. I am I am dairy free. I am leaning towards going to a total plant based diet. It's expensive. Organic is expensive. You know, vegan cheese is way more expensive than regular cheese. You know, everything, gluten-free products are more expensive. How can we do this? How can the person that doesn't have a big budget, right. how can they be plant-based? How can they do a plant-based diet? Okay, I'm going to speak to two different elements. One is we generally undervalue food in our society. We've mm -hmm. been trained to be like cheap, 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 right? The cheaper the food you're getting, you're gonna should you probably should question that, right? Because who who grew that? Who picked it? Who put it in a truck? All these people need to be paid, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're underpaying for food, you're underpaying everyone on that whole list. So it's something if you have the funds, right? If you can afford it, you're you vote with your pocketbook, right? You vote with your wallet, and that. So there's that. Now, let's say that you don't have the funds. Right. But, you know, for many, many years, I, I was a vegetarian and then a vegan before all these substitute foods were available, right? Right. So substitute cheese, you know, so instead of substituting cheese, 
you know, we didn't have the cheese on our pizza. It was still really, really good. You know, it was piled with vegetables. Vegetables are generally fairly inexpensive, you know. Beans and rice are rice. Beans is the um, most common food among live long lives populations, you know. Beans and rice are fantastic. So there is affordable food within that. Um, yeah, organic tends to be more expensive. Once again, what are you paying for along the way? And we're not talking about people who are really struggling financially. Those are the very people we're trying to feed with support and feed. Right. Um, right. I think if you're really, really struggling financially, you know, then you're looking at more whole grain foods, rice, beans, quinoa, vegetables, you know, these are the healthiest foods and they are not so expensive. What's expensive is gluten-free food, substitute meat products. Yeah, Those right. are pricey. Although organic vegetables are a lot more expensive than, well, they can be. But I also subscribe to a, like a, something called, um, oh, what's it called? I forgot the name of it. Imperfect Foods. Um, right. So I get a produce box of like not the prettiest looking stuff, you know, the prettiest looking fruit, but, you know, it's cheaper. <laughs> right. And I love that. And I love, you know, for those of you who don't know, um, you still live in the house that you've lived in all along, correct? Yeah. Yeah. You guys are still there, living in your house, living your yeah. life, living in your house. Yeah. 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 You are where our memories are. It's where, you know, it's home, you know. It's pretty fabulous. Okay, so um and for those of you who don't know, uh, Maggie's kids and my kids uh went to the local dance. Uh, well, let's get to that later because there's a great story that goes into the future. But let's talk about the vote. We're going to talk about like social issues first and then we're going to get into Maggie's story as an artist and as a mother and what's happened since. But um how can we get out the vote, Maggie? I mean, I, you know, oh, I have another, I have a question for you first, because I was just listening to them talk. You were saying last week you got really incensed because the idiot chief knew all along and he let all those people die. How do you feel about Woodward? Because I'm really torn about how I feel about Woodward and the fact that he did not speak up knowing what he knew. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm quite torn too. Um, but I will say that, you know, I, I, I do, I do agree you know, it was hard to know. You, you go to your president for the information, right? And yes, he was saying it to Woodward privately, but then he wasn't saying it publicly. So yeah, could he have come out and said, wait, he said this? I don't know, because Trump always worms his way out of everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's yeah. I'm imagining that Woodward thought, well, the scientists are saying it, so the public will get it, right? But, you know, not taking into account that when the president is modeling something completely different and telling people not to worry and that it'll go away and that it's a flu. And by the way, you know what I think? Why is everyone so cavalier about the flu? Have you ever had the flu? It sucks. It's horrible. I've wanted to die when I've had the flu. You know, I get a, I run to get my flu shot. So yeah, people are like, oh, it's nothing more than a flu. I'm like, I don't know what flu you've had, but. <laughs> Well, as soon as people get a fever, they say, oh, I have the flu. You know, the flu, the, flu, the flu levels you. It levels you. It makes you crawl to your bed and cry. <laughs> and, you know, and this is worse than the flu. So but but they're always playing it down like it's just a flu. I'm like, I've had the flu. I do not want the flu. OK, when so you've taken your you take I, I don't do flu shots and I have been blessed not to get it. But um how do you feel about the vaccine and how do you feel about anti-vaxxers? And do you think 
what do you think is the solution here, if not the vaccine? And how about this vaccine that they're already testing and this woman took the second one and got incredibly sick? You know, they're push, you know, he's pushing it before election day. How do you feel about all of this? Wow, this is getting so deep, Vicky. Um I'm obsessed with, you know, this is this is this is what yeah. we're doing. Well, I'm not a scientist, let me just say that. So I would say this about the here's here's my personal feeling about vaccines, my personal feeling. Because I have friends who who are not in favor of vaccinating, and I have friends who for whom I understand that and I respect it. I also know people who I think are really extreme and in denial about the benefits of vaccines. I think there are grayer areas, and it all needs to be considered in your personal circumstances, etc. Um, for you know, like you know, some vaccines are for meningitis like i'm gonna run to get that vaccine if my wife right. is gonna be in a bunch of you know kids in a dorm right another vaccine you might go oh there's a risk i don't think that vaccine whatever there's mm -hmm. there, i think there are grayer areas and i don't think it's right to talk so black and white about it mm -hmm. um but i also think there's a lot of insanity right now of people being i i am not i don't like the conspiracy theory stuff I think that is counterproductive. Um, I don't know. Would I get a va vaccine? Yeah, if it has safely been tested. Um, yeah, for sure. I definitely would. I, I get, like I said, get the flu vaccine. Listen, I get the flu vaccine because when I have had the flu, it has been devastating. It has made me very, very ill. And I don't live a life where I can do that. I can't just be out of commission for two weeks. I can't do it. Some people maybe can. I cannot do that, you know, and I can't make my daughter sick. I can't make my son or my husband sick. I can't do it. And I feel the same way about COVID, you know, like this is deadly for many people, you know, and this is where I think we have to have this attitude of, of loving others. You know, it's really not just about you. It's really not just about you. I'm sorry you don't want to wear a mask. Top luck. People don't want to wear a seatbelt. You know what I mean? And how, how are you finding the masks around here? Because I speed walk around our hood. I didn't kill the fires. And uh, there's very low mask carriage in our neighborhood, actually. My neighborhood is pretty good about it, fortunately. Our neighborhood is very good. But um, yeah, I don't I don't get it. I really don't get it. But you know, it's not it's 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 I think it's this inability to I don't know, it's like some kind of brain thing, which is an inability to Think about other people somehow, you know, to to project concern for others. And and that would be part of the COVID vaccine. There's no way we're going to get back to being on tour and having concerts for 10,000 people in an arena if there's a vaccine. That's not going to happen. So, Well, you, you guys are finding creative ways around it. I've been loving Phineas's videos. They've been amazing. Uh, I, I, and... Yeah. Okay. We'll talk about that in a bit. So how can we, how can we make a change? How can we as citizens of this country get out the boat? What can we do to get active? We, we don't have a lot of time. It's a matter of weeks now. What yeah. We well, there's a lot of great organizations. Um, Adopt a State is a great program with Vote Save America. They have a great program, which you can get updates each week, send out postcards. I think that's a really good one for people. Um, 
because I know people want to be active, right? And they don't feel like they can go out and do stuff. You can register if you're if you're feeling young and healthy. You can register to be a poll worker because you know that we're in danger of having a poll worker shortage. And that um, Power the Polls is a great organization to connect to sign up to be a poll worker. Mm -hmm. um, you know, getting out the vote, adopt a state would be a great one for reaching out. But individually, I think we have to all think ahead. You know, we have to make a plan. Everyone says the most important thing you've got to do is make a plan and make that plan to vote early, however you can do it. You know, in LA, we're lucky. There's lots of polling places open the week before. You know, make a plan to go with someone or if you're going to vote by mail, make that plan to do it early. Put it on your calendar, just like you do everything else. You know, we have this meeting. It's been on my calendar for two weeks, right? Right. Calendar now. This is when I'm going to vote. And this is how I'm getting my ballot in. Um, in Los Angeles, we're going to be able to put the ballots in the box outside of the polling place, correct? That's what I'm I, I think so. I mean, I'm not going to be the expert on that either, but um, mm -hmm. I believe so. And I think we'll have those extra poll. I think they're making even you know, some big, big, I, I don't want to say Dodger Stadium, but we're going to have some bigger polling places. Right. But the important right. thing is not wait till the day. And the important yeah. thing is to make sure everybody you know knows what their plan is. And if by any chance you end up at your polling place, keep in mind, if you are in that line, when the polls close, you can vote. And make sure everybody knows that because the last election, that was a major problem. People got told at the time the polls closed that they needed to go home. All around the country this happened. And that's not true. Right. If you're in line, you can vote. I think spreading that information so everybody's super aware um, is right. incredibly important. Um, yeah, and also, it, you know, um, there, there are many campaigns that are focused on the swing states and the, the down ballot elections. Um, you know, today on NPR, I was listening to them talk about the propositions in LA. It's really not too soon to be doing our homework. I know I've been guilty of the night before <laughs> cramming, <laughs> trying to figure out, you know, who is this? And, you know, you can start now, um, wherever, wherever you are, everything is, everything is, we know, Do you know when we should be getting our ballots I mean, and when we should start worrying if we haven't received it in the mail. I don't know for California. I, I know one state. Oh, I don't know which one it is. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I want to say it's South Carolina. So I don't know. One of them you can vote now, but wow. I'm not I'm not sure when our date is. But hey, you should have a election person on here. Oh, you know what? You should have one from Vote Save America. They have really good info. That would be excellent. Be very worthy for us to get closer to it. All right, so Maggie, let's let's get personal and let's have some fun. So let's talk about Maggie and let's talk about you know I don't even know where did you grow up, Maggie? I grew up in a little town in Colorado called Fruta, Fruta, Colorado. <laughs> it's a little oh. tiny town near a slightly bigger town called Grand Junction, Colorado, but all on the western slope of Colorado. I've and then been I went Leadville for a while. That's a small town too. Which which town? Leadville. Oh, yeah, I know Leadville, for sure. <laughs> you grew up in Leadville? <laughs> I didn't grow up there, but I lived there for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I went to college at the University of Utah, and then I went to, yeah, I was an acting and dance major there, and then I went to work at a Shakespeare company in Massachusetts called Shakespeare and Company, and then I went to move to New York City. So, <laughs> so dream, how did the dream start to be? Were, were your parents artists? Did they encourage it in you? My parents were not. My parents were sort of church singers, you know. They both sang in church, 
Um, my father was a school teacher. My mom was incredibly talented seamstress, but she, she was a mom, stay-at-home mom most of my life. And um, um, yeah, but they were they were encouraging. I don't know why. I, I'm sure maybe you and your daughter too, you know, had that thing where from a tiny little age, I was like, that's what I want to be. I want to be an actor. <laughs> and I have no idea, you know, just like new from, I'm, I think that's all I ever said I wanted to be from little tiny age. Um, I don't know why that is. A lot of people have that story. I don't know why, but um, yeah, it's all I ever wanted to be. My parents were definitely supportive, you know, as supportive as you can be of, <laughs> of that when you don't know anything about it, you know, how okay. to do it. Um, so, yeah. But I'm wondering about the nurturing and the parenting that you got because obviously it's, a, it's been such a priority in your life. Were you, were you well-parented? Were you well-loved um, and supported? For sure. My parents were awesome. My parents were really very kind and very um, civically minded. You know, I and also I, my one of my brothers is an attorney and lives in Salt Lake City and is very civically minded. And my other brother um, was a member of Congress for 12 years. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And he actually just didn't run again after that. Um, he left after Obama's first term because He'd done his time <laughs> and uh, had two little children to take care of. But um, yeah, I, my parents were very civic minded. My father taught civics actually, um, which is kind of funny. I don't really think about that much. My, my parents sadly, but my mom died in her fifties, which sucked. Mm. And then my dad died um, 19 and a half years ago, sadly too. But my father had been, yeah, very a civics teacher, very involved in, he was the mayor of my town at one point, not when I lived in, yeah, he became the mayor. Like he was very, uh, yeah, my, my parents definitely put, you know, service at the front of life like that was, and they sang in the church, you know, they sang at people's funerals, they sang at people's weddings, you know, um, they were very great parents you know of their time so whatever that means parents you didn't know what they didn't know but they were wonderful i was very lucky very lucky to have so being of service is something that you grew up with were you an activist back in the day maggie you're younger um, than I am, so yeah i mean i was i was always i became a vegetarian in my teens um, my parents, my brothers are vegetarians too. I mean, I'm a vegan now, but um, my uh, <laughs> we all grew up not wanting to eat meat. We were all like, Ugh, that's an animal. I'm not eating that. My parents described us as like the cheap kids. Like they were super happy that we were so <laughs> cheap to feed because talking about food expense, of course, meat is expensive. Um, yes. But yeah, we, we I was always involved in that. Always, you know, wearing the protest t-shirts, et cetera. Um, you know, but I was also an actor, you know, and, you know, when you're in that acting world, young, it becomes everything, you know, it's a bit, well, what's the word, you know, closed. Oh. Off. Yeah. So, so how did that happen for you? So you got to New York and what happened when you got to New York? I got to New York and I um, pretty, pretty quickly got on a soap opera actually called Another World, playing a very funny, un-soap opera-like character of a man. That was my soap what, what were you on Another World? I love. I mean, I watched Another World when I was oh, my character later. Uh, my character was named Rhonda Sadowski. I was a manicurist who didn't know how to do nails very well. It was quite funny. It wasn't typical soap opera character. Um, 
Yeah, and actually the director on that became a real big part of my life. It still is. His name is Ron Lagomarsino, and he he then cast me in several plays. I I, I did regional theater, as most, most young actors do in New York City. Mm -hmm. I did regional theater. I did plays in Florida and Cincinnati. I did many, many plays at Seattle Rep, um, Alaska Rep. I met my husband in Alaska at Alaska Rep. Wow. Um, just traveled around the country doing, you know, eight-week jobs here and there, and then then I did another soap opera. I did As the World Turns for a year, um, and I did a Broadway tour of the Heidi Chronicles. Well, I did As the World Turns, and my mom died suddenly when I was on that. That was quite brutal, and um, I was, you know, in my mid-20s, and my mom suddenly died, um, and Anyway, so not too long after that, I went on tour with the Heidi Chronicles and then that made me find LA. And after 10 years in New York City, I was like, eh, okay, enough of this. I loved New York in the beginning, but it does get tiring after a while. I still love it now, but you know, at the time, New York in the 80s was, was rough. Um, it, had a, it had a bit of a, a scary side and um, yeah. So I moved to LA at that point. So, um, yeah. And so what happened, did it, were, you, were you able to move your career with you? Did it translate here? Well, I mean, I don't know if I had a career. Do you know, like, <laughs> I mean, it's such a long time ago. I was saying this to you earlier. I, I'm not, I'm not typically, I don't, I'm not a person who like talks a lot about old stories. Like I'm more about like, this is what I'm doing right now. So it almost seems like I'm talking about a different person, you know, but, you know, to dredge up acting stories. I have all the dreadful acting stories that other people have. I have the dreadful being with an agent who basically shelved me and, you know, told people I was out of town when they call for me and, you know, only pushed their other. I have all those old terrible stories. Um, yeah, and then you know, and then and then left that agent to go to this agent, who then immediately left to go to that. You know, I mean, being an actor is hard. Uh, it's not easy when you're young, and um, especially then. I mean, I don't know if it's harder now or then, but you know, we didn't have, we couldn't make our own content. We couldn't right. you know, put ourselves on, you know, Instagram or you know, you know, you just had to wait for the phone to ring, basically. Right. You know, take your classes. I used to have an answering service. Remember? Did you ever have an answering service? Sure. <laughs> you know, call your answering service, and they would say, "All clear, Maggie." <laughs> all, all clear meant no, nobody's interested. <laughs> oh my. Okay, here's my here's my best answering service thing that ever happened. <laughs> I had a roommate once named Nina, Nina Handler, and I'm still friends with her on Facebook, actually. But Nina Handler. Um, I, I was calling my answering service and my answering service goes, oh, Maggie, hold on. Everybody wants to be on the call for this. So the whole answering service gets on the call and then they go, the message is the duck's name is Morty. The duck's name is Morty. My roommate had brought home a baby duckling that she had rescued from someone and he was running around our apartment. <laughs> And my roommate was off staying with her boyfriend all the time. So I basically had to care for a baby duckling. And um, <laughs> But I'll never forget my answering service. The duck's name is Morty. <laughs> so, so, so how did you, um, we have a lot of mutual friends from the Groundlings. How did you end up a Groundling? How did that, how did that happen? 
okay, so I went on, my mother died. I, I went on a national tour with the Heidi Chronicles. Uh, my agent dropped me in the middle of my national tour. With this, with this line, we saw you in the show. You were so incredible. You're so talented. We want to give you an opportunity to find an agent that will care about that. <laughs> what? That's how I got dropped by my agent. Um, yeah. So I, I came to LA and I, I um, you know, I, I had been doing regional theater and theater and, you know, living in New York a long time. And I went to see a friend of mine, McNally Seagal, in a show with the Groundlings. She was in the school there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, this looks like the most fun thing ever. And having grown up with watching Saturday Night Live and, you know, loving Lily Tomlin more than anything on the planet in laughing. Um, I saw the growlings and I was like, oh, wow, this, this looks fun. And so I just took a class for fun, you know, like I just I, I mean, I was so associated at that time in my life with like the serious actor, even though the roles I'd been playing you know, I did Noises Off with Ron Lago Marcino in Seattle. I mean, I was doing these really funny parts a lot of the time, but, you know, I was a serious actor. And so I just went and had the best time. Kathy Griffin was my first teacher and my second teacher. And, you know, I just kept going. I, I was lucky enough to sort of keep going. And, and uh, you know, and I, I, I proceeded through the ranks, which didn't take as long then as, as they do now. And I got to watch all these amazing actors, you know, who I had, oh my gosh, when I first like, you know, I mean, you know, all the people, you know, Tracy and, you know, and and, and Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens. I mean, I, I Patrick and Lynn I- Stewart, I gotta give a shout out to Lynn. Oh, Lynn, oh my God. <laughs> Patrick and I used to get up at 8 a.m. in New York City every Saturday morning and lay in our bed and watch Pee Wee Herman, you know, and Lynn was the greatest. Oh my God, that whole cast. So, yeah. you know, to be in the halls of where those people had been was, you know, too good. Phyllis Katz, you know, yeah. these incredible talents. So I was very lucky to get into the Groundlings. I have some of my closest friends from the Groundlings still, Amy Smallman, lots of close, close friends. So, um, yeah, that's how I got there. And, you know, I remember hearing that somebody in New York heard that I was in the ground and they're like, Maggie Baird is doing sketch comedy. I was like, <laughs> so weird. There used to be this really weird division. Do you remember? It was like Absolutely. you were a stage actor or you were a movie actor, but movie actors never did television. Right. And theater actors never did sketch comedy. Like it was so weird. There were all these hardcore lines about what you were allowed None of those exist anymore, thank goodness. But so you did stand up. You were saying that you went to some open mic nights. Oh no, I went to open mic nights as a as a songwriter. Ah, okay. So how we haven't talked about that part of your life. So we when did you start doing that? When did you become like a singer songwriter? Well, okay. So I left the Groundlings when Phineas was little. I was still teaching there, but then I, I stopped and I, you know, just full time mommed. I taught. I started teaching music instead. Actually, I wanted to teach things for kids more and um, be around, you know, people with kids my age, et cetera. When I was a young teenager, when I was a teenager, I was like a closeted songwriter. Um, you know, I wrote music. I had no- Did you sing in the church stuff with your parents? I did, I sang in the church choir and I, um, you know, sang at my friend's wedding. You know, I grew up in a small town. People got married at 19, you know? Um, <laughs> I, I sang at some weddings and, uh, 
Yeah, and I was like a, I was a closeted writer. Like my father knew my songs. Um, my father always was like, you know, why don't you do something with your songs? And I'd say like that. I'm already rejected enough as an actor. <laughs> I cannot take being rejected as a songwriter. Um, so then, when wait, my, were, your, were your parents musical at all? They both. Well, they were amazing. singing in the. They sang. They sang really, really well. My father was a beautiful Irish tenor. My mother was a college for a soprano, like, but small town, you know. Right. Um, but they didn't play instruments. Um, I played the guitar and the piano. Um, but interestingly, this is a sad part of the story. When my father was dying, I decided to record a bunch of songs. I, I wrote a song at uh, for my for my wedding, I sang a song. Phyllis Katz sang harmony for me and Dorian Franco, and I sang at my wedding in Topanga Canyon Campground. And I, I like your fabulous wedding picture. It's on your Facebook. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was awesome. Um, but I sang a song, and my father was always like, you know, that song could buy you a house. I was like, Dad, you don't understand the music business. <laughs> like, it's really not that simple. Um, but when my father was dying, I decided to go into the studio with some of the musicians from the Groundlings that I was really good friends with, Willie Etra and Larry um, Treadwell, and record songs for my dad. So I recorded an album called My Father's Daughter, and it was really just me trying to keep my dad alive, you know, because he had a terminal illness. And I just thought, you know, I'll give him something to look forward to, you know, and maybe a reason to... I don't know, fight a little harder or something. So I recorded this album. He did hear it before he died, um, but like not even finished, but mostly. Um, and then, you know, I had little kids. I got pregnant with Billy, kind of put it aside again. And then I went, I kind of got re-inspired. I was like, I'm going to go check my songs out again with Larry, see if I can fix them up. And then I got re-inspired to write a lot more. So then I started writing a lot more and uh, kind of put together another CD's worth of songs. And, you know, I was kind of toying with this idea, well, could I, like, could I actually, you know, find a way to be a songwriter is not just hidden away. And I was talking to somebody, they said, you, you have to go perform, like you have to be out performing. So with small children or young children in the house, I just thought, there's no way I'm gonna go out and perform. Like, there's no way I'm gonna cancel, I'm gonna bail. So I organized this group of women and we would get together and we would rehearse our songs together. All moms. I think everyone was a mom, maybe one dad. <laughs> and we would rehearse our songs together. And then we would make a commitment that we'd go to an open mic night. We'd all sign up online together, like all those slots. And then I would play guitar for this person and this person would sing harmony for me. That way we could never back out. Right. So we had a great time, you know, Billy was a little, Phineas was young, every now and then they'd get up and, you know, sing a little song. Um, so we had like a couple of years of this open mic night family affair, you know, all going out and, and uh, you know, we had all the class. What kind of venues were you, were you doing this at? Oh, like the Left Coast Wine Bar and the um, Viva Cantina uh, mm -hmm. Mexican restaurant. Mm -hmm. Oh, there used to be a place in Burbank that was like an Irish pub. Do you remember that? No, but I know Viva Cantina's in Burbank. I know that one. Yeah. Yeah, Irish pub would go. And, you know, we had all the classic experiences, you know, people talking through our whole set, you know, <laughs> people shouting, you know. 
this is partly what inspired the movie, though. The movie has a lot of open mic night scenes in it. So that was that that inspiration. Again, what did I do? I got a group of women together to go do this thing. I think this seems to be this trend with me. Um, so, um, yeah, that's how that happened. And then, you know, I wrote the movie. And then Phineas and Billy <laughs> turned out to have this crazy, amazing talent that far surpassed my own. And, um, you know... And that's where the dance studio came into play. Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about how that's so. Okay, so you make your movie, and at the time, unless I'm wrong, Phineas was stars was starting to rise because he was playing in a band and he was playing gigs, and then he got Glee. Is is that right? No, he got, no, he got Glee quite a bit later. No, he was. Oh, okay. in he was in a band called the Slightlies. They were awesome. Yeah, he had. He was in the Slightlies, and then he started producing he started you know not only writing his songs and doing his band but started learning to produce and started producing all his songs okay and so he started learning to produce what does that mean he taught himself to produce it, it's unbelievable I, it's just unfathomable my, my kids did not take lessons the only lessons they had were choir they learned to sing it you know they learned a lot about choir uh, but no, they both taught themselves piano and guitar and producing. They all they just taught themselves. The only thing we taught them was Phineas when he was like eleven wanted to sing in a town. No, he wanted to impress a girl. <laughs> he wanted to impress a girl, and he wanted to be able to sing this song called "Beautiful Disaster." So Patrick was like, "Well, here's what a chord is, and you know, here's the chords on this song." Two weeks later, he was in a talent show singing you know, falling slowly, which was a totally different song. Right. And then he just like constantly would be watching YouTube and learning stuff. And, and the same then happened with Billy. And then, and then Phineas started the same for production. You know, he just scoured the internet and watched. How do you have the equipment to do what you need to have to produce? Well, you start with what's on your computer, you know, you've got GarageBand, you know, mm -hmm. And then you start and then you go, oh, they are using that thing on there and I'll get that. And um, and then luckily he did get Glee. He got, it wasn't Glee. You know what he did an episode of, he did a movie called Bad Teacher and he made a little bit of money in Bad Teacher and he used that money to buy some pieces of equipment and stuff, but not a lot. Um, you know, you can do a lot with what's on your, I mean, if you got a laptop, you know, it took a while for us to get him a laptop, but um you know, he just started experimenting. I don't know. It's it's crazy. He just got obsessive about it and do it all night long. And um, and so then he was producing and then he wrote this song, you know, Ocean Eyes for before. Okay, wait, before he gets to Ocean Eyes, yeah. What is Billy do? Billy's very young. She's super young. Yeah. Well, she was a choir. She was in choir and she had this beautiful voice. Uh-huh. And she loved choir, loved choir more than life itself and love dance so she was in dance and choir and daryl just this minute said love you both <laughs> well, Darryl, you. dancing at revolution dance center in montrose down the street from you as my kids were as well and with jason i have to give jason a shout out jason their favorite their teacher and julie k and julie schmidt who does deliveries for support and feed Aww. yeah um, and Julie Kay and Daryl have as well, and Jason. Um, anyway, they were they were both dancing at RDC. And um, one year, Jason no was it Jason no with Fred. Fred asked Phineas if he could 
do a dance to one of Phineas's songs. And so Phineas did this beautiful song called my, Your Mother's Favorite, and they did a dance for it in recital. Uh -huh. Everybody knew that Billy sang because Billy and Phineas put some little song on SoundCloud and everyone was like, oh my gosh, Billy can sing. And so Fred was like, well, can you guys do another song for a recital with Billy? And so this is when Phineas suggested, well, Billy, because Billy had come into Phineas's room and sung Ocean Eyes and it had been very beautiful. And so he's like, well, let's do that one. It's very lyrical. And they, they literally produced it for dance. You know, they were like, you know, you could see them in the room kind of, you know, this would be cool to do this. And so they produced it with this dance in mind and they, they literally put it on SoundCloud and the next day it had like a thousand plays. Cause they put it with a free download link too. Cause they literally just put it there for Fred. You know, they're like, right. here's the song, right? And it got a thousand plays, which of course doesn't seem like much to many people, but to them at the time was like, whoa, we made it. And um, how does something like that even have, they're unknowns, they put something on, how does that happen? Well, I mean, it was the right moment for SoundCloud. You know, it was really, wasn't overly saturated like it probably is now, mm -hmm. new enough. Um, but there were people that kind of scoured SoundCloud, right? And they and Billy already had a couple songs on there. She had a song called Fingers Crossed that she'd written in my songwriting class that I taught at the homeschool co-op. <laughs> and, and Phineas had taken that class too. And, um, you know, so the ha she had a couple things on there already. And I think... Somebody heard the song. I think somebody put it on Reddit and then a blogger of, of called, um, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going to forget his name. They're going to kill me if I forget this. Oh, shoot. Shoot. It's, I'm blanking on the name. I've said it a billion times. I'm sorry. I apologize. It'll but, come to you. If you keep talking, it'll come to you. So he shared it and his blog and then all these other people picked it up from that, right? And it was a great song, it was a beautiful song. And and so the funny thing was, O'Billy and Phineas thought it was just their friend, Frank, who was quite popular. They were like, oh, Frank must have played it first. You know, like they didn't know. Um, so that just kind of launched people calling and asking, and then they, they were like, oh, well, let's write some more songs. So they like instantly started writing more songs. And, um, you know, the, like I remember like, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, I think the song came out like right before Thanksgiving. I was like, you're getting a lot of calls. Maybe you should go like do an open mic night, like see what that's like. So we went over to the left coast wine bar, I remember, and they sang Ocean Eyes and they sang a new song they'd just written. That was like the first time they ever like oh you know, did it. And yeah. And so, but that was five, almost five years ago. Um, so people, people have a tendency to think things are like overnight, but they're, they, it, you know, things, they were quite lucky, of course, in the fact that it was a, a steady, a steady. That was only five years ago. Five years ago. It seems like they've been on the, on the public consciousness forever. Like I can't even remember when they weren't that yeah. crazy. Cause it sounds, it seems like a long time to you, but to me, that seems like yesterday. Wow. Yeah. But it, you know, the, the thing is, you know, we, we never skipped any steps. Like I say we, because the first times Billy was doing a show out, you know, we were riding in a white van with me and Phineas and Billy and, you know, driving to San Francisco. And, um, you know, the first tours were, you know, the first time we went to Australia was me and Phineas and Billy, you know, the managers booked it and we went to Australia by ourselves and, you know, somebody greeted us there and kind of looked after us. But, you know, we, there were, 
there were definitely all those steps along the way. Of okay, so let's talk about a little bit about that. How that so they they did a song. They went. They did an open mic night. This blogger wrote about them. The hits on SoundCloud go from a thousand to. I don't know. I don't know the numbers. A lot. But I mean, like a lot. Yeah. And so, how did they? How? What? What was? What were the steps after that? What happened? How did? Because it became. Oh, well, I don't know if we have that much time, but, um, you know, like they met manager, they met the, the managers and, you know, I mean, it's, a, uh, that's like a whole book, Vicki, uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, the music industry, you know, I mean, I, when you talk about my life, I feel like I, I learned all about, you know, um, you know, I was completely immersed in being an actor and then I was completely immersed in being in the groundlings and that's still acting, but you know, and then I was like, I'm going to make a movie and I'm completely immersed in that. And then, then I had to kind of learn the music industry, you know, kind of just to be helpful, just to be, you know, hold, holding up, you know, your, your children a little bit. Um, how did you, how did you learn as you go, Maggie, were there people that you trusted that, you could go to how did you how did you did I asked ask a lot of questions I asked a lot of questions of a lot of people and sometimes I'd be like hey come over here in this room can I ask you about this you know because I didn't know how to answer this question without asking this other person um, I, I mean the music industry is confusing I, I will say it's very confusing it's very deep and you know there's there's a lot to learn about it and um yeah, I just asked a lot, a lot, a lot of questions. And I mean, I was kind of wide eyed for the first couple of years. It was intense, you know, um, it, it was not easy. It was a, it, It's a lot. It's, it's not easy. But, um, you know, we have she has a great team. Every person that came on board to Billy and Phineas's team has been amazing. That's made all the difference. I think that's the key to life. You did, know? You, did you? How did those relationships happen? I mean, what were there people that you said no to? Were there what uh, yeah. organic? Did the team organically come together? Did you seek it out? Did they seek you? Out? What happened? How did that come together? Well, it's a piece by piece thing, you know. Um, again, without like you know writing the book, you know, right. you you need this person and this person knows this person you recommend, and sometimes it's a fit and sometimes it's not. And yeah, there's a lot of saying no. I think no is very important. You know, you've got to be particular. You've got to know what your vision is. You got to know what your path is, and you got to just stick to that. You know. Did you have a bit? Did you guys have a bit when when the when the success started to come at the beginning? Did you have a vision? Um, I think the vision comes to you, but I think the vision, yeah. Okay, this is this is what I will say. I'm gonna stick to my part of the story. Yeah. Because my biggest concern in the beginning mm -hmm. was that she was 13 years old when Ocean Eyes came out, right? And then 14 years old. And my biggest worry was that it would be a flash in the pan kind of a thing, like some kind of big push and then you're done, right? And then where are you? Mm -hmm. That was my biggest worry. And I think I started to feel better every time we met a person who had a, a long vision, right? Who was talking about where are you going to be in five years? And that mattered to me a lot. So nobody on her team, nobody believed, nobody didn't believe in her as, and Phineas, of course, because Billy and Phineas are, you know, they're part of the same, you know, picture. Mm -hmm. And, they everyone had a long vision and nobody had 
and we didn't let anyone near us who would who would not have a long vision right so nobody would be trying to exploit or capitalize on anything for a fast buck mm -hmm. it was a long game um you know like i say touring small venues um not songs on the radio for years you know um just developing a, a, a life in the music industry and not just a burnout you know so yeah Are decisions made in group like as a family like, do you make decisions as a family um well, it depends. I mean, Billy is 18 now. She has a team, you know, I, I still help her a lot and I still try to guide her, but you know, she has managers always has and, and day-to-day -day manager and record label. She's got a lot of people to ask for advice. I try to just be there to help be, you know, keep in mind, you know, where you got to be when, and, and, Oh, remember you wanted to say this or you wanted to do that. Um, you know, Phineas is just, 23 now he's really full on you know he he certainly doesn't need my help at all you know i just try to be their mom but also you know here's the thing like their team is amazing no complaints but the truth is there's only one person who's really looking out just for you yeah you know and that's your mom or dad you know or hopefully you but you you know they're so busy so you know, that's what you need. That's what you need in life. I think, especially, I don't know how people do it in the music business without, in any kind of business, without somebody who's really just like, you know, I'm just here for you, you know? Um, what happened with schooling? How did Billy do that? Well, we had always been homeschoolers. So, I mean, had nothing to do with the industry at all. Like we were homeschoolers because, we wanted to be with our kids all the time. We thought this city was rich with opportunities to do stuff. And, um, you know, Park Days and Face LA was a great support group that we had. We did field trips everywhere. And so we had always homeschooled. So that didn't change, you know. So it's just a, a lifestyle a world. It's funny. Everyone's homeschooling now, but we, we always did it, you know. Un unfortunately, now people can't do what we did, which was a lot of we were rarely in our house. You know, we were in in parks or on field trips or in classes with other people somewhere else. I would say you incorporated a lot of other people in your world. For sure. Yeah, so it's not the same for people right now. It's super hard. But I think that's part of what led them to be able to create the way they create because it was part of our philosophy that you didn't, you, you know, we tried to strew stuff in their path and if they were interested in then we, you know, we delved, right? So um, you saw the music as being something important to them early on. So was that part of their schooling or was that what they did after school? No, it was, there's no after school. We didn't like have like, this is school and this is after school. Mm -hmm. No, in fact, when Phineas got so interested in music, we started going to the, um, Grammy Museum every week because the Grammy Museum had this great educational program every week. Like it would be like music of the Civil War or music of the Civil Rights Movement. And then the next would be like how to use Ableton Beats and how to do this, how to produce. So we just started going to the Grammy Museum because that's what he was interested in, right? And and the same for Billy, you know, whatever they were interested in. So we had a rule in our house though that if you are making music, we wouldn't tell you to go to bed. <laughs> so you know, because you know, a lot of music. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you're creative, you know, anyone who's creative and especially musicians know that a lot of times 
the urge strikes at night, right? Yeah. And we weren't going to say go to sleep if you were making music, you know? And somebody said to me like, well, what if they're just hacking around? It's like, that's what, that's what making music is. You're just hacking around, you know? I'm not going to judge like, oh, this is valid and this is not valid. So we did have that. I suppose that's the one kind of thing we did sort of outwardly say. Um, How was socialization? Uh, well, I know they went to class, they went to dance classes and they did other things where they were with other, what, was it ever challenging though, because they were homeschooled? No. No, I mean, I think that's one of the, there, there's two words that people kind of mix up in homeschooling, socialization and socializing, right? Socialization is learning the rules of society. How do you learn the rules of society? You go to a concert, you go to a play, you know, you can learn to wait in line and sit in a chair and be quiet in a lot of ways. <laughs> it's not that hard, you know? <laughs> but as far as socializing, interacting with other people, I mean, I don't, I know this isn't true for everybody because depending people homeschool for all kinds of different reasons in all kinds of different ways. But in our case, the reason we homeschooled, like we, we were involved with people day and night. My kids had more time with friends than any people on the planet, you know, because they had the kind of hour to do it. Um, so yeah, that, that never was a problem among any of the people I knew. There were always plenty of kids around. Okay, so let's get to present. I know you like the present. Let's talk about the present. So I've been watching some of your, you go live on Instagram a lot. Um, is, is, do you have a regular slot? Do you have a regular thing that you do on a specific time? Yeah, we kind of do now. Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. I tend to go live on Instagram with amazing guests. Um, we found that's a pretty good time for people. So it's, it's support and feed related, but it's on my own Instagram. Um, we are featuring young environmentalists and activists, um, incredible, inspiring people that are going to save the planet and make all of our lives better. Um, yeah. And I also share, you know, vegan tips, plant-based tips. I have vegan influencers, plant-based influencers, maybe people in the people in any aspect of the environment or social, uh, social justice, um, guests. So that's what I do Wednesday mornings. And I saw you make incredible brownies using um, sweet potatoes as an egg substitute, which I never would have thought of. I wanted to know how they taste, though. That's what I want to know. Are they so still good? Oh my god, they're they're honestly the best vegan brownies I've ever made or had. I make them all the time now. So good. I think I shared the recipe on my uh, on our support and feed. You can find it. Okay. So what else? Um, what else do you make that like? is just the best, like the thing that you all like, oh, I'm gonna make that tonight. Oh, well, I don't know about tonight, but I my most famous thing is my cinnamon rolls, which are featured in the movie Life Inside Out. Um, yeah, I make cinnamon rolls from sort of the Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving till New Year's, I make a million cinnamon rolls. Um, and they're vegan, of course, and they're amazing. Um, so I think that's like my most famous thing, but you know, I mean, Phineas loves my peanut noodles, I really love my tofu salad. I like my um, yellow curry. I, you know, I love soup. <laughs> What's your favorite soup? What, what soups do you make? Oh, that you love? I, make, I like any and every kind of soup. I was saying this to you early, Billy, um, Billy Vicky, the, you were talking about the, the work involved in cooking, especially, yeah. cooking. you know, the key is to like prep it all at the same time, you know, so if you're cutting an onion, 
cut two onions or cut more than you need and then cut some celery and carrots at the same time and put it away in the fridge. You know, just like you might go to Trader Joe's, you buy mirepoix, right? The carrots, onions, celery. You can make that at home. Um, so just kind of think ahead. Like if I'm throwing in some potatoes to bake, oh, I'm like, oh, I'm also going to throw in um, some a head of garlic. I, the other day I threw in like five tomatoes that were like, I forgot. To, I kept forgetting to use them. I threw them in and roasted them. Now you've got these beautiful roasted vegetables all at the same time that you can use all week long. So it's kind of just like thinking ahead and, you know, preparing the basics, having them around. It sounds great. Maggie, thank you so much for doing this. You're so inspiring and you just get so much done. Okay. So wait, before we go, do you take downtime? Are you binging anything? What do you, what, what's recreation for you? Oh, that's hard. I do like oh. swim. I love to swim. Mm -hmm. And that really clears my brain when I can swim. And I do meditate. I am I am a meditator. So and I sometimes it's only five minutes, but the difference of meditating or not is is huge. Mm -hmm. Um you know, I don't know. I'm not. I, I I binged a couple things with Billy in the beginning. <laughs> I I I enjoyed some of it. Some of it I regretted, but I, I <laughs> not too much. But meditation. So when your day is done, how do you unwind from your day before you go to bed? I I use a meditation app. <laughs> I put a meditation. I do. Yeah, I put in like your eye shades. I have one called Simple Habit. And yeah, I put in my earbuds. It's kind of the only way I can shut my mind. Oh, I have NPR. But there must be a period at the end of the workday before you go to bed that you, the unwind time. No? No, sometimes. I don't know. Sometimes my brain hurts so bad because I'm on like a Zoom and a Zoom and a Zoom and a Zoom, you know, a Zoom about support and feed and a Zoom about, you know, Billy thing and a Zoom about this. And my brain literally hurts. And sometimes I'm like, I, I just, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Play it by ear. If I can get in a swimming pool, you know, I used to do aerial. That was my thing. I was an aerialist. And then I got a bit of an ear. the pictures. Oh, my God. That was my that was my fun release, but I'm getting back there. My shoulder's getting back. But I don't know. Speaking time, you know, you know, we do what we do. <laughs> well, Maggie, thank you so much for doing this and for being so inspiring. Um, you you certainly inspire me, and thank you for all you do. Um, thank you. Thank you for talking about voting. That's all I care about right now. Voting, voting, voting. That's what we've got to do. So, how can people find you on Instagram? Because it's not exactly your name. I think it's my, I think it's Maggie M. Baird, Maggie M. Baird, and, uh, and also support the feed. You can follow both of those, but Maggie okay. M. Baird. I will put both of those uh, in the, in the link in the show. Thank you so much Thank for doing you. this. I adore you. You're just wonderful. Thank you. Thank you everybody for hanging out with us. I hope you're doing okay. I know it's very hard. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go through the, 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 the feed questions and, um, and I'll direct you to anybody that's got one for you to, to answer directly and I'll tag you okay. on it. Thank you everybody for being here. I'm sorry that I wasn't paying attention to you while we were talking. But I had Maggie. I got to pay attention to Maggie. But I love you all, and I'll see you tomorrow on Shooting the Shit. And thank you again, Maggie. Thank you. Bye.